So a couple weeks ago, Darian and I did something really brave. We took our boys to their very first movie theater. Yeah, so not, not the first one ever, but just the first time they'd ever sat for over an hour in one space watching a screen of a new movie that just came out. They did really well, right? We went, you know, somewhat before their bedtime, trying to hit that nap time or the sleepy time just right. There's still light outside whenever we went in, go in, watch the movie, had a great time. And we walk out of the movie theater and Arlo says, uh-oh, what? what, what's going on? You okay? And he looks around at the sun that has now set and says, uh-oh, it's dark. <laughs> he forgot that the sun sets even whenever he's inside. Here is my promise to you. This is the last portion of this morning, and I promise to get you out of here before it's darch outside. That is, my, that is my guarantee to you. But there is one last thing we need to talk about this morning, and that is the future. That is us moving forward to the next 75 years. Because the general rule of thumb is this. Churches see a slow decline between years 30 and 40, and then right around average age 75, do they close their doors for good? Today, we are celebrating 75 years. This church family has impacted the Vero Beach community. This is a day of remembering, which we have done a lot today. It's also a day of remembering or of thinking, what do we want to be remembered by? And it's a day of deep retrospection, of considering, because here's the reality. I'm at the age now where my peers, some of my longtime friends, are leaving the local church entirely. They're walking away from it. And instead of being scared, what could this mean? What's going to happen? I've gotten really curious. And I've asked them, why? What are some of the reasons that you are leaving? And one reason has bubbled to the surface of all the various people that I've asked. And it caught me off guard. They said, the problem is that we started reading our Bibles. Okay, that... That seems strange. Tell me more. And what these people that I talked to, this isn't everybody, people I talked to, they were comparing what they read in scripture to what they were experiencing in their church, and it paled in comparison. There are a lot of good churches out there. I don't want you to think that's not true. A lot of good churches with a lot of good intentions, but many of my peers, my longtime friends, they were getting bored disconnected. They felt that the church, everything the church did seemed embarrassingly safe. And everything they read in scripture was about the son of God who's anything but safe. I mean, this is a guy who touched leopards, who befriended prostitutes, who would enlist tax collectors to be on his discipleship team. And what my friends were saying to me is that they were looking around their church and they saw the temptation to become narrow-minded, hypocritical, judgmental. And this isn't a morning about catering to people and their desires, but it is a morning of considering. Considering why are people leaving the local church? Because if we want to not just survive the next 75 years, but thrive over them, then we have to realize that what got us here will not get us there. We live in a different world, a different world than 75 years ago. 
For example, faithfulness is no longer a top priority in people's lives. The average person's life does not think about their faithfulness to a local church community anymore. The local church is no longer seen as a beacon of hope in a community to the average person. We are moving into uncharted territory. And what got us here will not get us there. But here's the good news, because that's a whole lot of bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that the mission of God and the mission of this church hasn't changed. Our mission and God's mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission. How do we do it? Well, at this church, we find ways with the new sign in the back says, love God, love others, make disciples. That's how, that's our strategy. And we have various versions of that, but I think we need to do something else. As we're in this moment of retrospection, of considering Some of us excited, some of us worried, some of us scared. I think we should adopt a new mindset, three new mindsets, in fact. But before we get into those, let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and what he said that he would build his church. We acknowledge that this is your church for your glory, God. Would you strengthen your church so that it would be Jesus honoring in every way? Empower us to be your light in a very dark world, to use your people, your church, to lead others to be fully devoted followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're just going to look at a very short passage in Acts chapter 2. Now Acts 2 is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Let me give you a little context here if you're new to the Bible or this story. So Acts is written after the Gospels. So Jesus has already died on a cross. God has already resurrected him from the dead. He's already conquered death and hell and the grave and everything that comes with it. It's the greatest news in human history. That's already happened. Now we're going to be introduced to a character that we know from the previous story, but he's taken on in a new light. You're going to love this because this guy is a lot like us. He makes bad decisions, falls on his face, puts his foot in his mouth quite often. He's a screw up in many ways, but we find him in Acts preaching to a group of people, not just a small group, 3,000 of them. And Peter, one of Jesus's closest friends and disciple, is preaching to 3,000 about repentance and grace. And God added 3,000 people to his church that day because of the things Peter said. And now we are getting to see in the book of Acts how these first Christians— These first Jesus followers, how they decided to assemble as a body of people, how they would interact with each other, with the community. And then we get into Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42. I'm gonna put it up here on the screen for you. You can follow along here. You can follow in your Bible. This is just the text that we're gonna read this morning, but check this out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Check this out. This is wild. And these crazy Christians, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all, anybody who had a need. 
And day by day, they attended temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That sounds like a church who's willing to live for something. Amen? That sounds like a church that's willing to die for something, amen? And they did. They died for something. Now, here's the thing that I considered as I thought about this lesson. Is that the church that my friends are walking away from? Is that the one that they're witnessing? It can't be. You can't see this kind of church living today and say they're narrow-minded or hypocritical or judgmental or completely isolated and on themselves. Here's my fear and I put it in the version of a translation. Let it be a caution to us, this translation that I'm about to give you, solely my words, but when people look at the church, maybe they read it this way. They were devoted to their comfort, their happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket lists. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused only on themselves. Very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they thought about stupid things. If they sold anything, they would use the money to just buy something better for themselves. They claim to love God, but they don't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, depressed. As a result, most, most people disliked them, and very few lives were changed. Now, obviously, this is not the church. Like God has something bigger planned for our church. Obviously, and hopefully you know, our elders at the Vero Beach Church of Christ have bigger plans for our church than this. But if we want different results, then we are going to have a different mindset going into the next 75 years. So what is that mindset? Three mindsets. I'm going to pull them directly from the book of Acts chapter two. First mind says, we will be intensely devoted church. We will be an intensely devoted church. Reread that first part of Acts chapter two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. I believe that word devoted is one of the most important words in all of the New Testament. It's the word prokosterio. Everybody say it with me, pros. Prokosterio. There you go. Prokosterio. It means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. It's a persistent, ongoing, obstinate devotion. And that's what these disciples had. They were completely devoted, locked in to the mission of Jesus and the mission of his church. So much so, they're gathering every day. They're selling all they have just for the mission of God. They were devoted and locked in. Here's the truth. We all have prokosterio on something in our lives. Something we're devoted to. Some of us, it may be our children. We're devoted to their schedules and all the things they have going on throughout the day throughout the week, throughout the months. I talked to a, a young mother a couple days ago. I was inviting her to an activity that we had, and she said, I just can't. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I got an activity with my kid. I have something every day of the week. I just can't fit it in. We're devoted. Well, some of us are pro-carterio to our jobs, our career. We're with it all the time in the office, in the car, at home, in the park with our kids, because wherever your mind is, is where you are, and we can't 
go away from it. Some of us are our identity. We care so much about what people think, about who we believe we are, our financial success, our vacations, where we go, tropical beach, good pictures for Instagram, our Taylor Swift concerts. Do we get in? Do we not? Do we get a good picture? Do we tag? Do, do people do hashtag Swifty? Is that a thing? No, I don't. Half of y'all are like Swifty. What's that mean? Okay, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it is, Procosteria, whatever it is that takes up the majority share of your heart, your affection, your devotion, and there are far too many people today that call themselves Jesus followers, but Jesus is just another charm on their bracelet. Yeah, I'm Jesus. Look, I got Jesus. I got these other things, but Jesus, Jesus is definitely one of them. That's not what we saw in that early church fully devoted first century believers selling out everything they have. They were all in. They were devoted to something beyond just what they wanted. She's going to hate me doing this. I want to brag on one of our members here. You want to know, we have a, a rising number of young adults that are starting to come to our church. You want to know who their favorite person in this church is? Their favorite person, hands down, is Minerva Cartridge. Minerva Cartridge. <laughs> Now, <laughs> I told you you'd hate me doing this. Now, Minerva, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> so Minerva's not the loudest person unless she's praising Jesus. She's definitely the loudest then. She's not the loudest person. That's not why. It's not, because, it's not because she is the coolest person, no offense, but she's not the coolest person in here. And they're like, oh, I want to be friends with Minerva. It's not because she relates the most to us. You want to know why? Minerva is the young adult's favorite person is because we have no doubt where her devotion is. There's no faking it with Minerva. We know exactly where her heart is. And she's even, I mean, you just heard her. She's pointing at me and saying, it's not me, Mr. Payton. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. I don't know if you watched Miss Minerva's video whenever they thought about coming here uh, almost two decades ago. Was it two decades or almost two decades ago? And she came in and said, I know where I want to be, but God, she prayed, let it be known to my husband, and then we'll come. We'll give our life. And thanks to this church, God gave them that sign, and they've been here for almost two decades. They've raised five girls here. They serve every single week, multiple times a week. They've gone on multiple mission trips. They love and they're devoted to this church in a way that we can't say for many people. And we're grateful for your devotion. And we're grateful for all of your devotion. Whether you've been here for two decades or one decade or 10 days, because Miss Minerva's right, it's all about Jesus. A relentless pursuit of Jesus. And if we want an even better 75 years, then we have to have our procosterio in the right things. To be devoted to God's word. Each of you got a bookmark, a little magnet black thing. The half of you are like, what is this? It's a bookmark. So that you can be in God's word and you can mark it and you can pray for our church and our body of Christ as we move together. Be devoted to the fellowship of the body. You're doing it right now by being here, but we do things all the time as a church family by being devoted to deep radical prayer for this church as we move forward. First mindset change, we will be intensely devoted church. Second one, we will be an irrationally generous 
church. We've talked a lot about the generosity of this church, but we don't just base it off of us. We base it off of what we saw in Acts chapter 2. And these crazy Christians were selling their possessions and belongings. Think about that. And just, just distributing the proceeds to anybody who need it. We're not going to put it up here on the screen. I want you to scroll down your eyes to chapter 4, verse 33 of Acts. And look what happened because of that. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there was no needy person among them. Nobody was in need because the church was so radically generous. There wasn't a need for government programs because all of the needs that a government would take care of, the church in that community was radically generous and took care of those needs. And this is the most, one of the most generous churches I've been a part of. Where we lack in robust size, we make up for in generous hearts. And many of you sitting here, you privately know the generosity of this heart. But it's not a secret. It's pretty public. I mean, one of the primary reasons I accepted this job five years ago is because of the radical generosity of this church. I saw what this church raised on Mission Sunday, and I was blown away. I said, I want to be a part of whatever they have. I want to be a part of that because it's wild that that little church can raise that much money to go to other people. They won't even see that money. And since five years ago, we've had, you know, a global pandemic. We've lost a couple of prime members. We have uh, shrunk in our size numerically. And the amazing thing, we haven't just maintained our mission giving, but we have boosted it to new levels because of the generosity of this church. But it's not just financially. How are you irrationally generous in all aspects of your life? Are you irrationally generous with your time? Are you irrationally generous with your skills? Are you irrationally generous with your love and your devotion and your loyalty? You want to know who is irrationally generous? Barb Lammy. Barb Lammy is irrationally generous. You may, if you're a part of our church family and you don't know Barb, you probably have received a card from Barb at least on your birthday or your anniversary. Here's what I love about Barb is she loves this church. And even though she has a slight tremor in her hand, she hand writes notes almost every day and loves the person that it's going to. That's irrational generosity. You know who's irrationally generous? He'll never stand on the stage and he's going to hate me doing this, but John Pickerel. And if you don't know where John Pickerel's irrational generosity is shown, look around at this room. John has skills and he has a busy schedule, but he makes time because of his irrational generosity. And look at it. You know who's irrationally generous is Glenda Wild, who's been a part of this church for her entire life who's now an elder's wife, who has served for over 25 years in our children's program, could easily say, somebody else take the reins now. I have done my time, but she loves this church and she's irrationally generous. She not only was here for multiple months making sure that this happened, she also maintains our facilities team where we rent out our building to people all over the community. She's here almost every day working with people. She helps in our children's program, runs our children's program curriculum and our teachers and organizes it all because we haven't had someone step up willing to do it just yet. But she sees the power and the need for it and she's irrationally generous. One last one, you know who's irrationally generous? Ethel Meadows. 
She's like, what? <laughs> because she brings fruit snacks to my little boy every single Sunday. She goes and she buys them. She makes sure they're in her purse and she makes my little boy smile every single week. It doesn't have to be these grand gestures. I think she's also a little irrationally selfish because she wants all of his attention for him. So I'm, I'm calling you out. <laughs> she has, yeah, I know. But here's what these people discovered and what you're going to discover as well is that whenever you become irrationally generous, no matter how much you give, you will never be able to outgive God. That's what you're going to find out. That's what these people have found out. You cannot outgive God. Whenever you're at the pinnacle of your debt and you're still given to the kingdom of God, whenever your calendar is packed out and you're still finding time to serve other people, whenever your heart is hurting and you're still extend, extending love and grace to people, you are participating in giving irrationally. And no matter how much you give, you will never match what you have received and what God will continue to do in your life. And here's our guarantee as the leadership of the Vero Beach Church of Christ, as we look ahead at the next 75 years, here's our promise to you, church. We promise to lead the way in our irrational generosity. That's our promise to you. Because we believe that it's better to give than it is to receive. So we want to practice what we preach. And we will lead the way and how we give generously. We will be an intensely devoted church. We will be an irrationally generous church. The final one, we will unapologetically share the love of Jesus. Check out that last part. And day by day, every single day, they attended temple together. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And all of the praise went to God. Amen, Minerva? All of the praise went to God Having, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to think real quick, all the places this church has impacted. We've gone through a list of them here today. We're in the high schools telling people about Jesus because we volunteer with Youth for Christ. We're helping scared moms and dads decide to keep a child and raise a child for the first two years of its life through CareNet. We're helping starving Christians, both spiritually and physically, in Antigua and Liberia and India and Ghana and Tanzania. We have, we have a growing number of young families and young adults and young students and young children coming to this church looking to be fed and equipped and we're matching those needs. This church is doing just a fraction of what's possible. We can do more. We are a small church compared to some, but we pack a punch of love that we can give to our community and the world. So let me tell you real quick where we wanna be. This isn't new information, we've revealed this before, but if you're here and you haven't heard this, our vision moving forward, we want to one, be a church of 300 transformed disciples. Not 300 people in seats, 300 people that are on mission for God. We want to grow numerically every single week, not so that we can have more power, but that God's power can flow through more people and impact our community with his message of truth and grace. We want to, number three, 
be known in our city, to be known in our county for loving and equipping and training parents and families. And then number four, we want to send 35 plus people on mission every single year. Guess what? We did that one this past year. We sent 35 people, kids, students, their parents, their families. We sent them on mission. They all came back. They're excited. And now we're going to send 35 more this next year. That is our promise. But that's just us. That's just our vision. What about you? What's your vision? What are you wanting to see God do in your life? Because we have to be faith-filled, big-thinking, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers for the gospel, or we're not going to be standing here 75 years from now. We just won't be. You will never offend God with big thinking, but you will offend God with safe living. So think of your own life. Because if you are the church, the living body of Christ, that changes everything. We're not just believers. We're not just Christians. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor to your left and say, you are the church. Say it. Turn to the person to your right. Say, you are the church. Now say it with me together. Say, we are the church. We are the church. We are the church. What do we do? We sit in this room, we get empowered by the Spirit, not so that our faith lives between these walls, but so that it goes out into our community. We are empowered to transform and plant seeds and be the light and the salt of this earth. And here's the promise. If you go with that kind of mindset and you go and live that kind of life, here's what Paul says will happen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You know what that means? You're not asking big enough. You're not imagining big enough because God will do even more inside of you, but not by your power, not by anything you do, but according to his power that is at work inside of us. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. For the past 75, for the future 75, and for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would empower us like never before to be your church in this world. Father, there are people in here right now who are ready, ready to be your church, ready to be your body in this dark world. If you're sitting here on the sidelines this morning, if you're scared, if you're wondering, if you can actually add anything, I want you to pray that thought away right now. I want you to pray that God would stir up a passion inside of you to share the gospel in this world. We commit, Father, to be devoted to the things to be devoted to your church, to be devoted to your words and all the things that honor you. Father, we commit to be irrationally generous with our money, with our time, with our love. Father, we commit to sharing the love of Jesus no matter what it cost us. We believe that you and only you were able to get us these last 75 years. So Father, we need you to give us the next 75. Help us be bold, Help us be courageous. Help us be full of love. Help us be powered by your spirit. And together your church says, amen.